Hello? Who's there? Aoi, <laughs> Naina. Who's your mom? Egua, who's your dad? Oh. <laughs> Welcome to Two Crees in a Pod. I biggest Nitsigasun, Ginekoma My name is Amber Dion and I'm from the Kihiwan Cree Nation right here in Treaty 6 territory. I'm a mother, I'm a social worker, and I'm also an assistant professor with McEwen University School of Social Work, and I am joined by my lovely co-host. Hey, hey! <laughs> My English name is Terry Sengens. I'm from Sally Cree Nation, and I am the Director of Indigenous Initiatives in Keo Weston at McEwen University. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to the conversations. So welcome to episode six on Two Crees in a Pod. Today we are joined by Dow and Clarice. I'm going to hand it over to them uh, to just share with us uh, who they are, where they come from, and what they do. Who would like to start? I'll start. Hi, I'm Dao. I am uh, Vietnamese. I uh, came to Canada 40 years ago and uh, as a refugee um, to Malaysia and then a uh, immigrant to Canada. Um, and I'm now a school principal, a mother, and uh, an advocate for many uh, causes for our city and for women and children in our city. And, and, um, but I feel like my introduction is not sufficient because I really can't introduce myself properly without going back to my ancestors and, and talking about uh, my grandma. I think I'll get into that right after Clarice. No, mm-hmm. I'll just continue right here. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so... I'm not supposed to be alive. <laughs> I really, my, my story of existence right now and who I am is really uh, a story of, of great struggle and survival. And it, it all started with my grandma. Uh, my dad was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. He, uh, his, his village and his home was, was burned down. His, his regalia was taken. He was stripped of his, his title um, in the government. He was in the army, in the Southern um, Vietnamese army. And uh, as you know, with history, um, Vietnam was overtaken by the communists. So my dad was put in jail and basically tortured for, for six, seven months. During that time, or p- right before that happened, my dad married my mom. And, and, um, and unbeknownst to him, my mom was pregnant with me. So during his imprisonment, my mom was pregnant, but he didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everything happened really quickly. And, and so my grandma, who was really close to my mom, knew that she was pregnant and, and had no option but to somehow get my dad out of prison. And it sound, sounds like a, a movie and it sounds impossible that you're, you're, you're put in prison and basically everybody who was captured uh, by the communists in Vietnam, you were left for dead. Mm. So basically if you were a prisoner, you, you dug um, bomb shelters, underground bomb shelters, and then basically the communists will bury you in it and you will basically die. So, but the thing was, the whole country at that point was in just economic turmoil. P- 
people were desperate and and so my grandma kind of knew that aspect so she she had a farm she grew vegetables and fruit she sold fruit on the side of the road mm. got enough money to form a bribe um walked by foot to the prison which was very very far from our village and now my, when my I'm telling the story through piecemealing stories that my dad has told me over the years so this is not my story this is me figuring it out as a child ever since I was like probably eight or nine mm -hmm. my dad has severe PTSD because he was tortured in prison he would have these flashbacks and then he would sit us down as kids my brother my sister and I would just tell us little bits and over the years I've kind of linearly put them together and so my dad says that when he was in prison he was basically waiting to die but my grandma had enough money from selling fruit she bribed a guard at the prison to get him out and it worked so in the middle of the night my my dad was approached by a uh a guard and said hey you can you can leave and he, my dad's just got, like what the heck is the heck the heck's going on so then he left and i don't know how far he ran but he ran back to my village and he got my mom and back then in vietnamese homes we all live with our whole entire family so you get married you live with your brothers your sister your aunts and your uncles your grandma your grandparents like just everybody like the res. yeah <laughs> just like the basically so you know you build like a four-story house you have 15 bedrooms you sh all share the bathroom everybody eats with each other kids are running around but everybody's kids are raised by everybody else's mm -hmm. moms and dads so but my dad knew that the political climate was so tough at that point that he can't just go in and say hey we're all getting out of here because that's going to blow his cover that he escaped a prison mm -hmm. and that now he's going to flee Vietnam, right? Because basically if you were from the South, you were no good to us and you're going to probably stage some sort of coup. You're going to overthrow the communist government. So we don't want government officials alive. Hmm. So then my dad basically whispered to my mom in her sleep at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, whatever says, let's go. And then she's in like, I'm getting goosebumps just telling this, but like she had to make that decision, that split second. Do I leave my like 10, 11 sisters, my like everybody, my nieces, nephews, everybody I know, my brothers and sisters, and just go with you? And she made that decision because she was eight months pregnant hmm. with me. So then my mom and dad went to a boat that my dad had like knew that someone had you know, had set a boat on the side. There's hundreds of boats, but you had to pay top dollar to get on this boat. And these boats were all lined up, like at the edge of Vietnam, ready just to go. And these boats had no direction. It's just to go away from Vietnam because there's no, you either stay and die or you go and maybe die, but you're not gonna die by the hands of the communists. So they left. And my dad never saw his grandma. No, sorry, never saw his mom again after that. And so, so my grandma literally saved my dad so that my dad can save my mom so that my mom can save me. And so that boat was on the ocean for like a month, my mom says. No food, no water, 
and it was just pitch black. My mom, I, I remember asking her, I'm like, were you afraid? And she's like, oh, of course I was afraid. It was pitch black in the middle of the night. My mom and dad were held hand in hand, just running to this boat. And this boat, like just imagine like a boat that you'd rent at Sylvan Lake. You know what, you can comfortably fit 10 people on there, mm -hmm. comfortably. Like a boat like that, 100 people on, mm -hmm. right? Just piled on top of each other. Parents, like moms, dads, kids, babies and everything. And then it would just go and the waves would just take you. And, and you had to pay a guard, a communist guard had it. Like, so you pay them and sometimes they'd make you line up and pay again. They're like, oh, you didn't pay, line up, pay again, right? So, but you can't question that, you just do it. So it was so corrupt and then there's so many people starving on the boat. Like it would be like day two, day three, week two, week three. And like dads would just swallow their pride and jump off with their wives and their babies in the hand because they're like, I, I can't stay on this boat. We don't know where we're gonna be. And my dad and mom, I said, what, what made you not jump and commit suicide? What made you stay? They're like, well, it was you. Right? We can't just like, you know, they had to have hope, right? And finally, 30 days later, they landed on the shore of, of Malaysia. It's a famous refugee camp called Bilobidong in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. The UN had stationed a refugee camp there. Hundreds, thousands of Vietnamese refugees just fled to Vietnam, to um, Malaysia. And like I said, my mom didn't eat for that whole month. And then during the refugee camp, like you have to line up for rations. So she didn't eat for a month either. And, but I survived, like when I was born, my dad actually has a picture he, of the doctor. I don't know how, how he got this picture of the doctor who gave birth to me on the refugee camp, but my dad has a picture of a Malaysian doctor and he keeps it in a special box at home and it's wrapped in saran wrap <laughs> in a Ziploc bag and it's a wooden box and once in a while he'll open the box and he'll show me all these little artifacts in there like little souvenirs and trinkets from the refugee camp mm -hmm. and they're all like yellow stained stuff but it's like so special and he always tells me like you're so special like you mm -hmm. survived and I'm so grateful for my parents having that courage because at any point during those 30 days they could have made any decision to not survive so I don't know I just I'm so grateful for my parents but I'm grateful for my grandma for making that hard decision to go get my dad right like you know you're you have nine kids at home and you're gonna go save that one kid where she could have died herself but everything everything worked out I'm here and I'm and I'm not gonna live in a way that will not honor what they've done for me so it's not you know I'm, what i do for a living pays tribute to my mom and my dad and also my grandma so really who i am is because of what my grandma started mm. that that was her first work that she did and okay clarice you gotta go because mm -hmm. i can't go anymore. Well, that's really hard to go after. <laughs> <laughs> so what have your cook come done? <laughs> so, yeah, I always love listening to that story. And I've heard it many, many times. So for myself, um, 
When I was born, I was born <clears throat> at a time when our family was experiencing a tragedy and a tragedy in that shortly after I was born, uh, my uncle and auntie and cousins, two of my aunties mm -hmm. were in an accident oh. and they were hit by a, a drunk driver and my uncle and my two cousins didn't make it. And my three cousins and my two aunties uh, suffered severe burns because the car blew up upon impact and were in the hospital for many, many months. So when I was born, we were living in Fort McMurray at the time. I was born in Fort McMurray in July and the accident took place in August. So to help with the grief and loss and to help with um, my dad and, and the family, my mom uh, gave me to my Muslim and Kukum to watch for a few weeks. And so they kept me for the month. And it's funny because a few weeks ago, one of my aunties was talking about that and she said, well, first she started with, you're my favorite. <laughs> and then she said, I remember when we had you, I was in junior high and I would run home every day because I was so excited to see you. You were such a cute baby and I just loved you so much. And so that's where my story begins. And when I think of my connection with my Gukum, she taught me a lot in, and she taught me a lot when I think of resiliency and I think of strength. She was, um, she was a hard worker. And when she first met my Muslim, she was 19 years old and he was 22, which a coincidence because that's when my mom and my dad met at that exact same age as well. And she met my Muslim at Kihiwin Pilgrimage. <laughs> and I remember this story because he was telling me when he was alive, they've both passed, but he was saying, I saw your Gukum and I fell in love. <laughs> and he had a really great sense of humor. And he says that he went to her parents and asked for her hand. And so that was in August and they got married in December of that year. So that was 1951. And he lived till they celebrated their 50th anniversary and he died four months later from a stroke. But through their life together and when I think of the strength she was always um, just very kind and gentle. And I think when I think of that role model, I think of my Muslim and Kukum's marriage, because from my perspective, they had such a good marriage and there was a lot of laughter and he would uh, grab her and kiss her on the face and she would slap him and say, get away and they'd start laughing. And so that was the first role model for me with that relationship piece and she would cook and she would um 
they would have a garden and she would harvest and she would uh, be canning and uh, baking. And I think that's where I've carried that tradition of also baking and canning. And my mom would talk about how my cucum would dry um, would dry berries into a patty and they would let it dry in the sun and then that's what they would eat during the winter months when it was cold. Um, my cucum gave birth to some of her children um, not in a hospital. She she lived in a time where the laws and they continue today impacted us from the Indian Act and there was extreme racism and my mom told me a story of how her sister would go with my tzapans into the bush in the spring and in the fall and in the summer to sweat so they would have to leave their communities to go and um go into ceremony because at the time the government did not allow that and you could go to jail for that mm -hmm. so that was one of the many examples i i just remember her growing up and she didn't have an education she did go to school um, my muslim attended residential school and so there was that that huge uh piece and when i think of my dad's mother i didn't know her as well when I was younger and it wasn't until in my teenage years that I made an effort to go and visit her a lot and when I sat with her she would tell me stories of growing up and she was in an arranged marriage with my Muslim and she went to residential school as well and she also had suffered loss with miscarriages and and um, death so she would also again that resiliency was a common theme so with my own mom i remember i i remember one of my first memories is there is she loved to read and she would always be reading so when i think of that we often we often copy what we see with our parents and so I saw that education was important to her. And I also have a love of reading. I love to read. I have so many books and I probably don't get to them all, but I love to read. And her own journey through education was she also, um, that was important to her. And she would, she told me a story which kind of, um, drove the point of when she was going to school she went back to school to upgrade and she was in college and she was pregnant with Terry and she gave birth and she took Terry <laughs> to school with her right after that because she couldn't miss class and she said you know Terry was really good she just didn't cry a lot <laughs> he said you just gave birth and you took your child to school and she said, because I, I knew that I had to do that to survive. I knew I had to get an education. I knew 
that was portent. And if you ever meet my mom, um, she has a quiet strength to her. And she also has this mama bear uh, piece to her. So I think when I get where I get my own drive, it's from my mom. And it's not only from my mom, but it's from my kookums. And seeing them and, and experiencing that, and with my mom too, she also experienced extreme racism growing up. And she talks about that. And so it's interesting because often with the work I do in education, I'm providing professional learning to educators on Canada's history. And I'm providing information on residential schools or the Indian Act or treaties. And 90% of the time I'm talking about my dad because my dad is a residential school survivor. And so I don't share as much um, with my mom. And, I, and me and actually Dow were mm -hmm. discussing this because Dow's stories are highly focused on her father mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. And then we say, we were questioning, why do we do that? And we started talking about the systems and mm -hmm. the, um, do you want to? Yeah, well, you know, we just, we live in just such a patriarchal system where a lot of decision making is made in Western society by men. And the women just take the secondary role. And, and, and if you are even in positions of leadership, you're your power or your voice doesn't kind of have that same carry or weight as men do. So so then without even consciously thinking about it, you revert back to what people will listen to. And then that's stories of men, right? So, so I think because of how we live, sometimes you also perpetuate those systems and, and um, you have to kind of almost consciously tell those stories of strong women in order for you to bring that legacy and that light forward and, you know, just create a new future. I just feel like sometimes it's just so hard and I don't know why it's so hard, but it's... Well, we know that the women are the holders of that knowledge and mm -hmm. traditionally and historically. Yeah. But through the Indian Act and through colonization, mm -hmm. that has been taken away. Mm -hmm. And myself and Dow are on the board with the YWCA. And so many of these issues are highly focused on women. And through our conversations and learning, it's just to how do we um, bring the focus back to women mm -hmm. and and talk about those strengths break down the patriarchy <laughs> fucking smash it <laughs> you know i and i've never like and it's interesting so clarice didn't it's clarice anderson <laughs> when she did her introduction she is my older sister um and uh she works in edmonton and um it's the first time that i I didn't even know that story that uh, my mom what went to school uh, right after she had me and that I was in class with her. 
And it's interesting because I remember in my BSW, Kara had her baby and you, and, and also you, you've experienced this, Amber, um, but uh, she brought her baby into that classroom mm-hmm. with us. Uh, and I remember watching that and I remember how all of us shared that responsibility and taking care of that baby, but how like, I was like, oh my gosh, this baby is soaking up all this knowledge mm. in this space. This baby is hearing and feeling all yeah. of these things that are being shared in this space. And so when you talked about that, um, and mom going to school and then it's just like, oh, you know, I'm thankful for that. You know, because that's all obviously had an impact on my life as well in some way. Yep. Um, and when we talk about women, uh, it's it's definitely I think it's we're in a time where um, we need to ensure that we are honoring our life givers in this world. And one of the things with the city of Edmonton um, that we have done is the Indigenous Naming Project. And I had gone into ceremony initially to ask if it would be appropriate to have an all-women's committee to do this work. Um, obviously, it was something that I had a conversation with uh, Dr. Leona Makokas in regards to our traditional role as Indigenous women um, and how we were decision makers within our own communities because we are closest to our children and we are closest to our elders in the community so we know and understand the needs of our community and so we we make those decisions because we hear and see and feel everything and how we then hand those over to our men who speak for us right and so this process with the city has been you know in that sense an indigenous process of really reclaiming our voices as women too so i appreciate um what you both shared mm-hmm. and I think not not only with both of my kookums and my mom but my aunties have really um, provided me with lot with many life lessons and my cousins and Terry um, for your strength Yeah, and I'm just, as I'm, we're talking about our grandmas and our moms, I can't help but think of our relationship as friends. So, Clarice and I met, I don't know why I'm crying, I'm just talking about, I'm just talking about how we met at work. We met at a lunch table at work. It's a really emotional space. <laughs> and, uh... So both of us. Where's the food? <laughs> Don't, well, we're eating Vietnamese. So I just <laughs> so I just made a Vietnamese spring rolls. It's my mom's recipe. And I'm uh, gonna make her me crunching. <laughs> so Clarice and I met um, uh, at a school and for the first time, and we just sat beside each other, and I was just eating my traditional food, and you know we just started chatting, and we just learned that both of us got married a month apart. And and we uh, uh, we shared pictures, and her, the picture she shared was my wedding dress. She had we had the exact same wedding dress, and and then you know fast forward, we got pregnant at the exact same time, um, 
and then our kids were born. We both have firstborns, which are boys, and they're born like a month or two two months apart. Yeah, two months apart. Liam and Sebastian, and uh, but before that, <laughs> we were discussing names, and we both had a girl's name. Yeah, and I said, "Well, what name did you choose?" And she said Sadie, and I said, like, "You're I, kidding." Yeah, she. That's the name I chose. Yeah. So it's so interesting. Like as we, I don't know. I've known Clarice for now ten years, and every single time we chat for a, a long period of time, we actually find a lot of similarities in our life. Like even with our grandmas right now, and and then the other week, uh, I she asked me how my weekend was, and I'm just I was just celebrating my dad's like seventy eighth birthday. Well, when it was his birthday, April seventeenth, and she's like, what? My dad's birthday is April 17th. <laughs> right? It's just like how how is this how is this happening? Like and you know, I kind of bring it back to Forrest Gump when, when you know that's that part where he's like at the gravesite, he's like mm-hmm. is it destiny or is it like planned or meant to be? And it's just like maybe it's a little bit of both. Like maybe we're destined to meet each other, maybe we're destined to tell these side-by-side parallel stories Mm -hmm. and like maybe we're destined to tell those stories because we're destined to we're meant to do the work that we're doing we're both educators with powerful voices like she talks about her mom having this quiet strength my mom has the same quiet strength but we're not quiet (laughs) both Clarice and I are very vocal and we will not sit back step down to anybody any man any woman who who says that our work is not important. Mm-hmm. And and so I kind of look at our lives and how it's so parallel, but also like we're, we're kind of fighting parallel fights for the same things, but also for different things, but all for women mm-hmm. and for kids. Like, like I, I'm, I'm a very strong Vietnamese woman. I know where I came from because of the stories my dad told me and my mom told me. And so I tell these stories of strength to my son so then now my son is a strong um, kid who, you know, thinks he speaks five languages, but he doesn't. Because <laughs> everywhere he goes, he, like, you know, learns a little bit of the language. Now he's, like, a multilingual. <laughs> and then he goes to Clarice's house. He's, like, I think I'm also Cree. Because <laughs> he's, like, Don't best. Don't worry, Clarice told him that he's Cree, actually. I think so. And, you know, like, he, he you know, he asked to smudge. Yeah. He he gave Clarice a gift today and he's like thank you for the medicine and you know so he's very much very much learning from from cultures that he's around and he knows that I'm really close to Clarice and he knows that I value her culture and her stories so then when he sees that if he knows I value that then he's like well it must be good for you it must mm-hmm. be good for me right mm-hmm. so then he just adopts it so it's a cool that how Clarice raises her son and how I raise my son we just like we learn from each other as mothers but like we're so proud of our boys and that we know they're going to treat women well mm. because like they have great role models I don't mean to toot our own horns but it's I mean we were raised by great women so and mm-hmm. just we don't have any option and and the women that are still with us when I when I when I say still with us, I mean that there have been times 
with my work because it's not easy work when I have a presentation I have to do or I have to speak about a project and I have to speak to a large group and I have to um, be able to answer, be able to um, provide these reports. So there, there may be big things and that's when I sit down and I smudge and I remember the very first time in, in this role and I had to go to board and I had to speak there. And it was so vivid to me that I saw before I, as I was lying in bed ready to get up, I saw all of the people behind me. And it was my gukums, it was my musums, and it was so clear that I was like, they are walking with me, they're guiding me, they're the ones providing the strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think like when we, when we see our actions in our work every day, they're, it's embedded in steps that have been taken for us already. And it's, we're just continuing on the work. Mm-hmm. Like, I just feel like we're not starting anything new. Um, and we're, I forgot what podcast this was, but like, I think you said, or maybe it was Chris Scribe, who's just like, you know, our ancestors got us, they got our back. And I just remember that. I'm like, yeah, they, they're, 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 they're up there somewhere saying, you got this, you can do this, you got the strength. And I just remember that part of that podcast. And I was just like, that's so true. Because like, if I didn't know my story, and I didn't know the history, I don't even know what my purpose would be. Because I wouldn't know who I am. So if I know who I am, where I came from, my purpose is easy. I was just telling Aaron the other day, I'm like, when you choose the right people, they'll do the right work. Mm. Right? There's a lot of times where you hire, you think the right people. Mm-hmm. but they can't do the work because it's so hard because it's not the right person for the job. Mm-hmm. And like when you know your work and you know who you are, the work's easy. Like I don't find, I find my work hard, but it's like easy because my purpose is very clear. Yeah. Right. And I know it's going to be hard, but yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And Dow is the first Vietnamese principal in Edmonton. Yeah, and I was just rolling up to a like a car that was just rolling up to my school, and I kind of like looked at them. And I knew they were Vietnamese. Like Vietnamese people know what Vietnamese people look like. So I knocked on the window and I talked to this father, and I I, I addressed him uh, with my title, and and I addressed him by um, his title, and with all with all Vietnamese people, you call them uncle. Right, so I called him uncle. I ca- I said Jiaoju, and then he was like taken back. He's like, no one has ever spoken to me in Vietnamese, like no school staff member has spoken to me in Vietnamese. So I said, I'm the principal. He's like, you're not the principal. And like, yes, I am. I'm the first. And I just was so proud. I was like, I was the first <laughs> Vietnamese principal in Edmonton. He's like, no. And then he starts slapping his kids, right, like violently slapping his kids, like in the back seat. He's like, you hear that? There's a Vietnamese principal. She's going to fight for you. And I was just like, 
at that moment, I was just so proud. He was just so proud. It was like, we're proud for our people. And it was just two of us, you know? <laughs> so like the, there's a power in connection with culture. And I think like, you know, so often, actually all together, I have never, ever had a Vietnamese teacher. Oh. And I just actually hired a Nigerian teacher the other day. Uh, very proud because I have a lot of Nigerians at my school mm -hmm. and I told her and she was like what I'm like yeah I can't wait for you to build relationships with these little Nigerian girls mm -hmm. because they're gonna have a role model mm -hmm. they're gonna see that they can too be a teacher because mm -hmm. how many Nigerian teachers are in uh, like in public uh, in our our school system I don't know I, I've only met her mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. anyways it's it's just so cool to, to be able to connect and to talk about race mm -hmm. you know because we need to talk about it. That's right. Mm -hmm. And to talk about, too, when, because Dow is such a um, strong educator, and I'm really proud of all the work that she's done in education. And often the question is, why are you an educator? And I think back to when I was young and I knew I wanted to be working in a profession that is a helping profession and helping others. And I even volunteered on my reserve, I'm from Saddlelake, at the um, health center because I thought I might want to be a dental hygienist. And I volunteered for the summer working with a dentist and I also volunteered at the school in the kindergarten class. And in the end, I decided, well, I decided I was going to go into hygiene. And then I changed my mind and went into education and have never regretted it. I, I actually did my first degree in psychology with a minor in Native Studies, but education has really been my passion and helping others and I think it's because of that service piece and serving others because that was such a huge part of of what I saw growing up and what my lived experience was with my family and for that I'm grateful grateful to all of those role models that um were were around me and i just wanted to add something um we had a we've had some previous conversations us and one of the things that dow had mentioned at one point was that um whenever you go to clarice's house you leave with bags <laughs> of things yes and uh i heard about this jam yeah <laughs> i'm gonna go get no, it on the fridge no, no, no. you don't need to because i was gifted some jam oh. so we pull up to your house and clarice walks to my vehicle yeah here and she's handing me perfume <laughs> what else did you give me perfume, perfume and salad Sa oh Hands me a salad. That Here, I made this. That I made. Yeah. Okay. Well, someone made it. From her ingredients, her, her fridge. There you go. <laughs> then gives me a perfume. I'm like, what else do you have in that bag? And she's like, oh, here. She hands me some jam. Yeah. And, uh, and so I've got to experience the gifting of Clarice. And, uh, and it, when you were talking about service and, and how you 
do that for others. You provide gifts for other people. And I want to share a quick story because right when you were talking, I thought about this. So we buried my auntie yesterday. My auntie Tiggy passed away. And uh, at the funeral, my auntie Madeline was speaking. And as she's standing up there speaking, she starts talking about her sister who passed away. And she said, my sister spent her life gathering mm. gifts. Mm. And she said she spent her entire life gathering gifts. And now she's gifted them to all of you. And now it's your role to re-gift what she's given to you. And I thought that that was a really beautiful, eloquent way of describing what we do. Mm -hmm. And how that's how we're supposed to live our lives. You two gather gifts. Terry gathered. Mm -hmm. we, we all gather gifts throughout our lives and we prepare to give them away. I mean, we give some away like jam all the time and Lysol wipes and whatever else you <laughs> give away. Yeah. Uh, but you give away gifts throughout your life. Yeah. And it's not just those material gifts that you give people. Yes, the jam is beautiful. I can't wait to actually make some fry bread um, <laughs> and eat that jam. But the gifts that the both of you give to the people that you work with mm -hmm. and the gifts that you give to the children that you work with or the parents that you work with or the community members you work with, you've been gathering gifts that have been re-gifted to you mm -hmm. by your grandmothers. Mm -hmm. And here you are re-gifting them. And then your boys are going to re-gift those. Yes. Yes. And then your boys' boys or your boys' girls or, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to be re-gifted from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. And so you reminded me of what my auntie said. And when I'm hearing you both speak about your, this lineage of strong women yeah. and survivors and thrivers, yeah. that that's what you're doing. You're just re-gifting what you've been gifted, right? And so yeah. thank you for that. Thank yeah. you for re-gifting. Yeah. Well, that's a beautiful um, analogy. Wait, <laughs> see, I, analogy, I, am, analogy. I am sitting and this is all to my mom because as I get older, I start to speak analogy. like my mom. That's a real good analogy. Um, <laughs> what I word am, was that? I yeah, that's an analogy. <laughs> I, I started at a... At a I was co-chairing the committee. I was talking about the city of Edmonton. And I get there and I take the mic because I have to speak first. I'm like, okay, to start this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys don't want me to break out my Vietnamese accent. Do you? <laughs> break it out. Oh, no. I can't do the nail shop girl accent. No. No, no we're not going to oh do God, that. No. So but you're reminding mm. me of laughter mm. and we laugh a lot we laugh a lot and i think that's one of um <laughs> one of the great pieces of our relationship is the sharing but it's the laughter as well uh -huh. because a majority of our time is is spent laughing <laughs> and we make fun of ourselves really we do and <laughs> and we talk about the humor that's within our families and and how it's used as healing and even Dow talked about that today yeah my she... dad was at a, like a funeral or he was talking about a bunch of deaths and all he was laughing through the whole thing <laughs> i'm like people are dying like people are like starving and dying and being beaten and I'm like why are you laughing and like and i was it just reminded me when i visited clarice at the hospital and she just 
um, was uh, uh, in her car accident. I was around you and your brothers and like your mom and everybody was telling jokes in the waiting room. <laughs> I'm like, your daughter's in a coma. <laughs> and here I am, like walking in, crying with flowers and you guys are all making jokes. But, but the thing is, I quickly learned that it was so healing. Like you guys yeah. needed to be in that positive, uplifting yeah. space because what's the use of crying? That's going to mm-hmm. just bring the energy down. And I know that your, your dad was smudging and I know you guys were laughing out here and you were like we were all waiting for you to like wake up and like you know Liam was just waiting to like hold his mom and I was just like and everybody's laughing but you know but as the the months came by and the weeks like you were able to wake up you walked again and your family just picked up and just supported you still and and it was all part of the plan like it was all part of how you live and how you grew up and this is how and it was just incredible so strength to me is not you know having a brave face with within your culture i learned that like strength is like seeing what happened what worked in the past and like i don't know it was just beautiful to see your family just come together for you and just all that i think helped you survive Mm -hmm. it really did Mm -hmm. and it made me kind of look like a wimp (laughs) <laughs> but I, I mean, I learned a lot from how your family heals. Yeah. I remember waking up and I thought I dreamt this, that I was surrounded by family smudging mm-hmm. and cousins that I hadn't seen in a while. And I remember asking Aaron after I had this weird dream that everyone was smudging around me. And he said, oh, that wasn't a dream. They were smudging. And so we're going a little off topic because that's a whole other Mm -hmm. (laughs) piece to it. But um, definitely many of the people that came in were crying. Mm -hmm. And what I did, barely able to talk myself, was tell them it was okay. Mm. Like you were reassuring me. And I was like, you're the one that's like, paralyzed almost and I'm like walking and talking and crying and you're reassuring me that it's going to be okay it was just like backwards but at the same time like it was like teaching me something you know mm. we do that you do and that I, a lot you know and, and I'll like I separated from my husband last year and <laughs> I called my parents but I called my mom and I'm like and she's crying yeah and I'm like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, I was the one. <laughs> but you're going through your issue. <laughs> I'm like, but I'm like, it's okay, mom. Like, we're going to be fine, you know? And it's, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I remember Clarice's accident. And I remember, you know, I was like this guard keeper at the sense of like telling people like, try not to cry so hard in there with her. Like, even though she was like sedated and, and uh, not awake I just felt like I'm like I just I want some like I I was just worried that it would she would still feel that and be scared in a sense and so it was like but you know you, you but you know what my first thought was after I woke up from all the surgeries Aaron told me that I I possibly could be paralyzed mm-hmm. because that's what told he was yeah, told. and I we were doing Morse code at the time trying to communicate mm-hmm. and in my head 
I said, screw that. <laughs> I'm going to be running in nine months. And you can go tell the doctor that. But I obviously couldn't vocalize that. <laughs> <laughs> you had a breathing tube. Yeah, I had a breathing, breathing tube. tube. <laughs> but I was so thankful. I remember opening my eyes and tubes and everything. You don't even understand how much gratitude I had yeah. of being alive. Mm. Like, I was so yeah. happy. It mm. was... It was amazing because mm-hmm. I did not feel what I saw from everyone else. Mm. Yeah. 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 And if I was baby Dow at like one day old, I probably was so grateful too to be alive. Like, I don't know, but I was completely healthy when I was born. Like there was nothing wrong with me. It was, mm. Like it's a freaking miracle. And I just, like you said, like, in your head that you were going to run or, or, you know, she actually, this is true fact, nine months or 12 months after she goes Dow, let's register for that 5k mud hero. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. We ran a mud hero, a 5k and she just broke all her ribs <laughs> was unconscious a year ago. Her back, her back, her spine, her wrists, her jaw, lacerated her pancreas like her lungs are punctured i mean i can go on like it's easier to list all the body parts she didn't injure uh, because and then she was like let's register for mud here i'm like okay you sure and she's like yeah i'm sure so i didn't question her i was like okay let's go so we drove to red deer ran through mud for five kilometers oh just a sec so all the way to red deer dow was like this we're going as a team this is our team. We're doing yes. it together. Uh, we no man registered. Behind, yeah. No man behind. She took off <laughs> and left me the first five seconds. I, I wanted to win. I ran the race by myself because Dow took off. And I, I was like, what end. happened to no man? <laughs> so I don't know. I'm kind of competitive. But you know what? You know what it is? I had faith in you. <laughs> oh, I finished You, it You were so fun. strong and... I don't know. I was just, I was just amazed. I don't know. Do you still have your medal? No. <laughs> gave it away. <laughs> I gave it away. She sold it in a garage sale. <laughs> anyway. um, so, ladies, we are coming to an, a near end of, um, of our time. So, we want to just open up this last little bit so that you can give us some closing comments. Uh, we've heard lots about, um, we've heard lots of really good stories, uh, very emotional very emotional, very touching stories about both your lives and, and again, the stories of very strong women in your lives. Any other comments that you have? Thoughts? Funny stories? More spring I rolls? think <laughs> I think it would be more to thank you both mm-hmm. bec- for inviting us, but also for the really great work you're both doing. Mm. I love this podcast. I'm a huge fan. Like, I'm fangirling right now. Like, I, when I got invited, I was just like, what? <laughs> like, you, like, I'm not even Cree. <laughs> you know, like, I, you're, you're doing such inspiring work. And, and part of my job as a principal is to learn from you two hmm. and to learn from Clarice and to be an ally and to make sure that we are 
bringing justice and reconciliation and bringing the truth forward to all the people, to all our kids, to know the history of Canada so that we don't, we don't repeat history. Mm. We, we change our world and our generations ahead of us through our kids, through my son, through Sebastian, through Liam. And so, yeah, we thank you guys for, for providing this platform that's very inspirational as women and as women leaders mm-hmm. in systems that have we've been fighting it and, and continue and, and to continue fight. to fight mm-hmm. you all of us four of us in the room right now at my place i just feel so inspired that like i have so much hope mm-hmm. like you guys are bringing hope t- to our country to our world like i'm gonna make that bold statement but it's true mm-hmm. it's true because we're gonna change it through our kids mm-hmm. <laughs> Hi. Hi, hi, hi. Thank you for the spring rolls. Oh, no and problem. We got spring rolls, Italian sausage, tea, <laughs> chocolate, <laughs> jujubes, everything. So you, when you come to my house, you, you're fed. Come to Dow's house and get some Vietnamese spring rolls. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, I ate six. Thank you very much. You're thank welcome. You, no, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. you. Great thank space. Two crees in a pod. Two crees in a pod. Natani means. Yeah. They pushed us to this point Frustrations of a common man Manifest the destiny Preach and pledge the promised land I'm stuck between taking my journey Live with no honor Like what's the use of my kids Can't taste clean water A child born into a world Revolution's not a choice Fighting to be heard So we make them hear our voice Remember ancestors Anguish lightning in our veins Hear it in a language When they are kitchen for the rain I am product of people That persevere persecution Paint me so creator sees me If I go out shooting Experience our pain When our women disappear daily Anxious to be angry, pacifists might hate me Trolls on the internet constantly trying to bait me We move in silence, cover of the night Learning from the wolves in the forest Tracking enemies in the woods Reincarnations of warriors riding for salvation Or are we false prophets when we submit to temptations? Colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said Two Crees in a Pod.